Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CY188, Many Consequences of Educational Anomalies, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 298, August 26, 1993. Otto Scott and I are going to continue in this hour uh, listening to and questioning Sam Blumenfeld whose work in promoting phonics and home education has taken him from England to Australia and many points in between. <clears throat> he has been designated by the NEA as public education enemy number one. So you know he's been very, very effective. Sam, what would you like to share with us now? Well, I, uh, as I mentioned in the previous tape, um, Dr. Seuss did not write his books out of his own head. He was given these words by publishers. And I want to quote from an interview that he gave to uh, Arizona Magazine in June 1981. He told the interviewer, quote, They think I did it in 20 minutes. That darn cat in the hat took nine months until I was satisfied. I did it for a textbook house, and they sent me a word list. That was due to the Dewey Revolt in the 20s, in which they threw out phonic reading and went to word recognition, as if you're reading Chinese pictographs instead of blending sounds of different letters. I think killing phonics was one of the greatest causes of illiteracy in the country. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they had it all worked out that a healthy child at the age of four can learn so many words in a week, and that's all. So there were 223 words to use in this book. I read the list three times, and I almost went out of my head. I said, I'll read it once more, and if I can find two words that rhyme, that'll be the title of my book. That's genius at work. I found cat and hat, and I said, the title will be the cat in the hat, unquote. Well, there you have it from Dr. Seuss himself, that he was given these words by these look-say publishing people who wanted these these children to be trained to look at words as little pictographs so that when they would go to school they'd be ready for the look say uh, books of course the question that arises and if you forgive me yes. that that bob brought up and which arises in my mind as well is did they do they understand the extent of the damage that they're creating Oh, I believe they do. Yes, but they don't call it damage. They're changing society. You know, what we have, what we've had in America was a very brief respite in the history of the human race. True. Where you always had an elite. You had an Egyptian-style uh, kind of system. The pyramid, you know. Yeah. Uh, where you have a small group at the top. Right. And everybody else is sort of, sort of subordinate. And there seems to be a kind of compulsion or imperative on the part of certain types of people who want a rule to make sure that everybody else under them is controllable. Well, that is true. The urge to power yes. is basic 
And it's the original sin, practically, to be as God right. over other people. Every government consists of a minority ruling a majority. So no matter what form of government you have, you will always have an elite. Otherwise, you cannot have a government. The American ideal, the American dream, the original American dream was that the people would be able to limit the power of the government. That was the original yes, American yes. dream, that the government would not get out of control and start controlling the people. Right. And it also, because it was an electoral government and didn't have a hereditary aristocracy or elite, whichever you want to call it, that merit would enable people to rise to become part of the ruling minority. Well, of course, the ink wasn't dry in the Constitution before they began to futzy around with that idea. Yes, yes. One of the interesting things, looking at this problem and looking at the future, is this. Here in California, when the Depression hit, you never heard John Dewey's name at the Berkeley School of Education at the University of California. Because in those days, before the one-man, one-vote decision of the Supreme Court, every county had its senator. The county senators were very conservative for the most part. They cracked the whip over the educators. They wanted good, solid, basic education. So Stanford could teach one thing mm -hmm. because it depended on the wealthy. But Berkeley, they were afraid of the farmers and their power and their senators. Mm -hmm. But now you see they've taken that power away from the rural areas, which once had their own senators, county by county. And we hope with the coming crash there will be a, a reversion to a more basic perspective. But of course the deck has been loaded against it in advance. Well, we had... You know, I spoke to the uh, Council on National Policy about eliminating tenure in education mm -hmm. in the judiciary and in Congress. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember at that time I said, we don't even have to do anything to promote this. All we have to do is to talk it up. Mm -hmm. And when we get echoes back from the trees and the rocks, we know that the time is ripe for organization. Yes. And it is now flooded through the country. Mm -hmm. uh, we are going to have a crash and we are going to have a restructuring. I, I think there's yes. no question about that. The big race here, the big qu query is, will we be able to restore freedom before we are locked up? Yes. Well, that, that's the problem. What do you think of term limits? Are you for... Uh, term? Yes. 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 I, 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 well, I, I, I called it tenure. Yes, all right. I just want that, to and, that and that's that what it. I meant. Yeah. I, I don't think we should have judges for life. Right. Yeah. I don't think we should have school teachers for life. I don't think we should have anyone else for life. Yes. 
The point, though, about you know talking of what's going to happen afterwards is one of the things we're learning about the liberation of Eastern Europe is that it's easy to turn a capitalist system into a socialist system by revolution. Very difficult to do the reverse. Yes. And that's going to be the problem here in this country. How are we going to undo all of these regulations? How are we going to undo this bureaucracy that you have in Washington that's strangling America? I tell people that the two things that have to happen in this country to get out of socialism is to get the government out of the education business and to repeal the income tax. Those well, are two absolute necessities. Now, Would you agree with me on yeah. that? Repealing the income tax, of course, has been an effort ever since 1913. The <clears throat> My solution on how we could go about this was that we should begin by punishing uh, officials who abuse their power, specifically uh-huh. in your community, and against every incident that you come across. I mean, judges can be removed, mayors can be dismissed, governors can be impeached, congressmen can be put in jail, and if the if the Christians don't do something, yes. if they don't frighten the officials into behavior, well, then, of course, they will be enslaved. Uh-huh. Well, you know, wouldn't you say that what Janet Reno did in, in Waco... She should be tried for murder. Yes, it's an impeachable offense. Every, and and for that matter, the president. Right. And and the point is that now they're trying... Uh, now, that, now they're calling it tear gas. They're saying that they pumped tear that, gas. That's a lie. But it, was on, it was on... I just heard it this, this, this morning in, on a news report. Uh, on about the Waco thing, that now they're they're trying to uh, imply that uh, uh, that Korish planned the suicide, and that all they pumped in there was harmless tear gas. No, well, and we know it wasn't, and and Regina Reno knows it wasn't well, tear, we have tear this, gas. We have this problem. We have a a new type of journalist who is credentialed and who has betrayed the people. Yeah. And as journalism now is part of our governing class. Yeah, I would agree with you. And uh, the journalist is part of the establishment. So, of course, we have, Rush and I, and you are doing our best to bring out new publications and new yes. viewpoints and all the rest of it. But we have to see, on the other end of the spectrum, some action on the part of the people we talk to. They have to get up and start protecting themselves. Well, you, uh, well, let me. Uh, I can. I can give you a, an insight into that whole area. The one area where I find that people are doing things are the homeschoolers. These are ordinary Americans, generally good Christians, who are making a clean break with the statist humanist institutions. That's been a marvelous breakthrough. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's the one. Uh, that's the one phenomenon that gives me great hope. And they should stop worrying about what happens when the when their students, when their children reach university age, because by that time they will be better educated than they would have been in a university. Well, you know, one of the interesting things I'm asked of these days is, uh, what do I do about college? And I always tell these parents uh, that not to send their child to any run-of-the-mill liberal college. 
because I tell them that your child will be forced to read all the wrong books for four years, and then when will he have the time to read the right books? Oh, I asked uh, I asked Rush the other day for a list of the right books <laughs> because people want to know what the right books are. Sure. Otto, do you have any suggestions for the right books? Well, uh, I don't, but I did have, and I think I can still find it. Do you remember the former, I started to say, Minister of Education in California who was driven out and he went to a school in the South? I can't think of his oh, name. Oh, yeah, Rafferty. Rafferty. Rafferty drew up a list. Ah. And it's an excellent list. And he actually drew it up for secondary students, but it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a university-level list. It's a very good list. I'll see if I can find it. Because my point is that those of us who, who have become conservatives spent many years unlearning oh, yes. <laughs> what we had learned, you know, in college. Of course, you didn't. Well, I didn't. You didn't have to go through that. I didn't have to go through that, but I did go through what Max and Gorky described. What Gorky that? said, a poor man has to spend his youth learning uh -huh. what is available in the university. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. So I, I, uh, but I encourage them to send their children to Christian colleges. Of course, the ones that I know that are pretty decent that are uh, Bob Jones, Pensacola Christian, Hillsdale is a good college. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a, a Christian college. It's secular, but it's still a. But it's not anti-Christian. Right. It's not anti-Christian. And it's a good, healthy atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And uh, what about Grove City? Does that still measure up to our standards? Strong on economics. Uh, yes. But that's about it. It is strong on economics. It is nominally a Christian college. Yes. But uh, can you name some others that you think would no, be? No, I can't. Isn't that amazing that a country this size, that there are so few schools? I, well, I know I can there, vouch there for There probably yeah. are others that we never hear of, because don't forget you fall into the blacklist. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. That's true. But the ones certainly that have... Uh, I would... I would uh, Certainly, if people really intend to send their children to school, to universities, colleges, I would have them explore personally the smaller colleges in their own state and region. Yes, yes. And assess them personally. But the problem is there that they may be reading the wrong books even in those colleges. Yes. You see, that's the problem. You mentioned Maxim Gorky. There was a time when I was a student, I read everything by Gorky. He was a very interesting man, uh, quite wrong-headed on many things, but uh, a vivid, telling writer. And he described a personal experience that has always stuck with me with reference to education. Uh, Gorky didn't draw the full implications of the incident, but he learned something from it. He saw a Russian uh, peasant beating his wife savagely. And it was so brutal a beating, he had to intervene. And the minute he did, both the man and the woman who was being beaten turned on him. 
<laughs> and uh, he barely escaped. They do it all the time. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the woman's rationale was, he's doing it because he loves me. Right. And it suddenly struck Gorky. I'm coming from one perspective, they're coming from another. Yes. And our education is based on totally false premises. They come at these children and at adults where they educate uh, college students with a humanistic presupposition. Mm -hmm. But these are not humanists with either a good nature or a neutral nature. They're fallen, depraved creatures. And that's the thing that is going to destroy what they're doing because they're going at it with a false concept of man. Okay. Well, and, but Russia isn't so much... We know they're going to fail. I mean, that's that's not... The point is not that they're going to fail. It's the damage that, that they're, they're doing. That they're going to pull us down. No. Yes. yes. While they are failing... Just oh, as, look, what, look what the communists did to Russia, even though I'm you and I know the damage. damage. Yeah. I'm just... Yeah, saying why sooner or later it'll collapse. Oh, sure. The uh, Black and Decker uh, hired an industrial psychologist who then hired another fellow who... Uh, that was already a mistake. Huh? Yeah, he hired, he hired a, a soulmate, so to speak, and sent him to uh, some special courses. And then they hired a psychological testing service in Pittsburgh, and interviews were conducted there while the psychologist watched through a one-way window. Uh -huh. I remember when Robert Appleby, an Englishman, uh, was, was in there, the fellow said something and called him Robert, and Appleby said, only my friends call me Robert, looked at the nameplate and used the man's first name. So that changed the tone. But at any rate, they had everyone in the company categorized as red, amber, or green. Mm -hmm. uh, if it was red, don't don't push him any further. If it was green, push him. And if it was amber, wait. Mm -hmm. And uh, they created a an enormous amount of damage to the company. Yes. Their regime paralleled the worst period in the company's production and earning. And it finally became evident that the people that they selected as top grade did not prove top grade on the job. And it was that simple observation which eventually came up like oil to the surface of water which led to their dismissal. In fact, the man who told me about it, I said, who fired them? And he said, it was my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> I said, what did they categorize you as? And he says, as an amber. So what we're talking about, if we want to use that as a microcosm of the system that you're describing, these oh, people yeah. want to place upon, like a template upon the people of the United States, yes. is that they will destroy our productivity almost entirely. Yes. Now, this doesn't mean that if they succeed in maintaining an elite position that they won't have all the fruits of the world mm -hmm. because the very poorest countries, India, for instance, has some of the richest people. Oh, sure. And the uh, nomenclatura in the Soviet lived very high. Right. 
Well, as long as they can control the dissatisfied people at the bottom or make them feel that that's their lot in life. You see, that's part of the psychological program is to get Americans away from this idea that there's an American dream of rising well, above your already into a station. Yes. They, they lowered the dream to a house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, a real estate agent's proposition. Yeah. And how many men do you run into, and a lot of them, who are always ashamed because they didn't go to a university? It's it's exactly as you, you explained, but but as uh, uh, as uh, as Rush explained, it's basically a platonic situation. It's oh, yes. basically Plato. Oh, there's no question. And in fact, aren't you required to read Plato in every university and college in the United States? When I went to school, it yeah. was uh, required. Of course, uh, when I city college, I had to write an essay on the Republic. You know, Plato's Republic. Now, the interesting thing is, can you be truly educated without a knowledge of the Bible? No, not really. And yet the Bible is not taught. And yet I would say that you cannot truly be an educated in in the Western sense without a thorough knowledge of the Bible. That's true. You can't even do crossword puzzles. You can't even understand (laughs) literature. When I uh, took the required course in Plato... We went through it, as you would the Bible, page by page. And we had to know what the argument was. We were questioned endlessly in class. So we spent an entire semester on one book, word by word. Yes. Now, why is that single book the one most studied in Western universities of all uh, of all books, this one ancient tome began. It, it began in the Renaissance, yes. and the the licentiousness of Rome and Greece and its decadence just fascinated all the scholars. It opened up what they considered the gates of freedom and the ideal society, and it went through the aristocracy. It it, it's, it broke the common schools and set up Latin schools. So the bourgeoisie and the nobility went to Latin schools and everyone else went to a common school and was only taught in the native idiom. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a decline in overall learning and a surge in upper class learning. So it began to set up education as the yardstick, not heredity. And not ability. But and I think the reason why Plato was was so lionized. This is a great totalitarian system. That's it. That's yes. it. That it appealed to the to the elitist, the elitist mentality. The Soviet Union adopted precisely the attitude towards law that marked Plato's Republic. They did not affirm law. Soviet law was simply plan of uh, uh, the planned society. You created whatever rules and laws that were required to further the planned society. Well, the bourgeois morality was not going to interfere with them. No. So anything for the project. Yes. Yeah, the plan. The plan. 
the plan was supreme. Right, and this is one of the things that struck me about uh, Clinton's campaign. He kept accusing Bush of not having a plan. Uh And he said he had a plan. Yes, and it's that, and we're... And, we know what that plan and is. it is becoming more autocratic and totalitarian yeah. in essence every week of his tenure. Well, it's and, and Hillary has her plan too for our uh, well, for just, our medical. Uh, just imagine what that will do. Restructuring of the medical uh, sector. There's a uh, I doubt very much, Rush, if people of our age will be operated upon under Hillary's plan. Uh, we, will, we will be told. I remember that Malcolm Muggeridge wrote that when he was in his 60s, he had to go to the hospital. And he got a glimpse at his chart, and it said, do not resuscitate. <laughs> really? I yes. think it is really unwise socialized medicine. Yes. for people our age to go to a hospital. And if not, it soon will be. Yes. I have been told by a doctor that there are uh, cases of euthanasia. They're not supposed to speak about them at all. I'm sure it goes on. I have no doubt about it. But incidentally, I I, I did want to uh, get back to the notion of getting the government out of the education system as a very important step. And I must say that the only political party in the United States that espouses that. Of course, the the libertarians do also, but that's not the important part of their their platform. The most important part is is uh, legalizing marijuana. <laughs> but uh, is the the one party that does subscribe to this is the U.S. Taxpayers Party, which was formed by Howard Phillips, and uh, hopefully that uh, this this party can. Uh, can prosper in the future because there is going to be uh, a tremendous struggle within the Republican Party for its soul. I think that's true, but I think your first point is that most people cannot now conceive of an educational system that isn't controlled by the government. They've been raised to it. And universal education, of course, has been one of these yes. uh, one of these dreams for centuries. If we had a private control of education, so that you could set up every kind of school, and parents or citizens in a community like the ranchers in the in the early West used to get together, put up a fund, so that the kids in the area would be schooled we would have a diversity of education because it's an illusion to think that only one set yes. of teaching is all you need to know. Well, tell me, uh, uh, Otto, uh, how much formal education does an individual really need? He needs to learn to read, uh, and I think he can go from there. You're a great believer in, in self-education, are you? Well, I, I you are yes, a product yes, of, I'm of a self, product of yes. It, yes. And so am I. I believe in self-education. Yes. And I think that all of these institutions are overrated. Of course they and are. That they Look exist. at the time they take. Yes. And that they exist mainly for the benefit of the professors. and the Because you go to these beautifully manicured campuses with their endowments. Oh, yes. 
and they take all this money from these students. For example, at, at, the, at the Boston University, it costs $20,000 a year to go to their school of education. And after spending $80,000, you come out knowing nothing. You don't know how to teach reading. You don't know how to teach writing. You can't teach. So somebody's getting $80,000 under false pretenses. Wouldn't you say that that's sort of a racket? It's crazy. Now, Percy Spencer was the electronic wizard for Raytheon Corporation when I wrote their history. And at lunch one day, a, a a mathematical question arose, I was told, and he answered it from his head. And they said, how did you do that? He's, and then he went into a very brief aside on his childhood self-education. He learned the elements of plane geometry by constructing in the woodshed uh, the triangles and the rectangles and everything else that plane geometry deals with. And therefore, it became immediately uh, obvious. Yeah. Its principles were, were quite simple, and there they are. And Percy went to the fourth grade. That's all he needed. He went to the fourth grade, but he emerged able to read. Right. And then, of course, he went to the library like everybody else, as you did and as I did. Yes, I love the library. And I uh, spent years of my life constantly. in public libraries. Right. And I, anything that struck my interest, I would pursue. That's it. That's the way to do it. As a matter of fact, one of the problems that you find among homeschoolers is a lot of the mothers uh, experience what they call burnout. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, if you experience burnout, relax. Take a two-week vacation. Tell your kids to teach themselves. They're not going to sit around doing nothing. They say, what? You yeah. mean my kids can actually teach they themselves? Think it's a <laughs> yes. Well, you know, you can teach, but the pupil has to learn. Right. But you see, so many of these homeschoolers try to replicate a schoolroom, a classroom, mm-hmm. a public school. And they think they have to stand in front of their child with a ruler ah, or a uh, pointer. Yes. And they've got to instruct, you know, right. and you that's get the way giant. they were taught. That's, that's right. And I say, it's a totally different kettle of fish. And I say, relax. Take a vacation. You know, <laughs> you know Don McIlvaney worried about what to do with his boy who has reached college age. And I said, hire two, two. One for science, an hour a day in the morning, and one for the arts, an hour a day in the afternoon. And you'd be surprised. Yeah, that's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, children do teach themselves, Otto. They and, have to. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a marvelous thing when I tell these parents to relax and let their children teach themselves, take them to the library, let them choose the books they want. Once the children know how to read and to write, that is phonetically, and know how to do the basics, you know, they're on their own, basically. They teach themselves, and you learn by getting in, getting interested in a particular subject, by following your... Uh, following your own your interests. interests. Yes. Right, right. Uh, our youngest da- daughter, Martha has three daughters and a son. And the youngest of the three girls, Mary, uh, was picking up some of the storybooks her older sisters had and reading them. And Martha simply assumed that she 
had memorized the stories because the girls were always reading them and had read them to her. What she didn't realize is that the girls were teaching her phonics as well. And she was amazed when Mary said, No, Mother, I can read. And she went to a paper or a magazine, picked it up, and read it to her. This is before she went to school. That's marvelous. Now, I don't feel that is... Uh, totally unique. I think it happens all the time. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, that's the beauty of homeschooling is that the younger ones mm-hmm. listen and pick up sure. what is being taught by the old ones. Incidentally, I don't want to give the impression that you ought not to, uh, children ought not to have the Dr. Seuss books. In other words, they should teach the children to read phonetically yes. before they give them the Dr. Seuss books to read. Well, reading for me was the door. Yes. Now, the diabolical thing about the people you're describing is that they are closing the door. Oh, yes, they close the door to millions of children who don't read. As a matter of fact, you know that in this society that people don't read books anymore. They're not even reading newspapers. The young people don't read newspapers. There's a decline in newspapers uh, in New York City they can barely keep up the, the newspapers they have when you were a youngster how many newspapers were there in six. New York more than six there well, were more six than that six. I can name six that yes. I can remember there was the New York Graphic there was a World Telegram and, uh, there was the there Sun was there was the Journal American right. there was the News there was the right. Mirror there was the uh, Times the there was the Herald Tribune yes. uh, the, you know, and, yeah. and, and the uh, Brooklyn Eagle. There was the yes, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Eagle, Eagle. Yeah. a good paper too. Yes, it was. Right. Boston had uh, a good number of papers. Now there, there are cities with only one newspaper. San Francisco has only one, right? And what the Chronicle? We have the Examiner. They have the Examiner and the Chronicle, and they bring out a joint paper yeah, on Sundays. Sunday. But Los Angeles, you have the Examiner and... And, the and they have no influence. The Examiner is gone. Oh, it is gone. Yes. Yeah. A city the and size of Los, Los Angeles has only one got the Times. that incredible one yes. mistake? And it's a terrible paper to work for. And if it wasn't for the Washington Times, the Washington Post would be the only newspaper in our nation's capital. It was for a long time, yeah. It's incredible to think that. But the young people are not reading newspapers. They're not reading anything. They're not reading anything. As a matter of fact, if you look at any of the bestsellers today, just open them up, you know, these mm-hmm. romantic novels, you find that they're written at a fourth grade, sixth grade level. Very, yes. you know, short sentences, yes. very few multisyllabic words. They're written at a Dick and Jane level. Well, I remember going through the mill of New York editing and uh, by the time these little girls from Swarthmore or wherever that they used as copy editors, by the time they got to the end of the book, they had forgotten what was answered in the beginning <laughs> of the book. <laughs> very annoying. Yes. One thing I must say about Reconstruction is that they have to be good readers. Yes. <laughs> well, we, we don't insult their intelligence. No. Well, my heavens, we depend on their intelligence. We rely on it. Uh, we don't write effect. down. Yeah. We write I, up. I have had a few letters over the years from people who not only say they enjoy our articles so very much, but 
that we're the only publication that makes them use the dictionary. Yes. There are very few publications in America today that are what you would call at a high literacy level. Harper's and the Atlantic are not worth reading. They, uh, you know the conclusion of the article from the second sentence. Yes. And the, and the New Yorker. On both of them. Yeah. The New Yorker now is going through its glitz. <laughs> they, they, uh, all this pent-up resentment of the of the New Yorker through the years has finally flowed over, and they've got a girl now that's taken the pants off <laughs> all the characters, and it's it's uh, it's it, it's getting increasingly vulgar. Yes, that I know. And, and yeah. uh, disjointed. I haven't seen it for a couple of years. Well, you, you'd be shocked when you see it. Uh, well, she's not a New Yorker, you see. No, she's a Londoner. And she's made some tremendous boo-boos, and she doesn't even know it. Uh, but that's... Choches- but Ceausescu of, yeah. of... No, no, the, the boss of East Germany had a lawyer, and the lawyer's wife sold an article to this new editor of the New Yorker, uh, Honecker. Honecker, yes. Eric Honecker. Saying what a great guy he really was. Really? <laughs> I mean, a mass murderer. Yeah. He didn't know what was going on at the wall, did he? He really yeah. had a kind heart. Yes. As all of these people do. That appeared in the New Yorker. Well, that's that's what's happened to American literacy. It's, it's all downhill and... and uh, uh, to resuscitate it, to recoup it, is going to take. It's going to take the people that are homeschooled. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically they're good readers. Yes. They're good readers. And so. of course, you have the phenomenal individuals who appear somehow out of nowhere, even out of bad schools. I'm sure. Yeah, here and there. Because we've got what, what 250 million people. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting immigrants who are coming in. Yes. And who bring yes. some skills with them. Yes. And And the Orientals are going to be more difficult. But on the other hand, they're raised in totalitarian societies. Yes. But the Orientals do very well in mathematics, you know. The SATs, they they do very well. And you see more and more of them winning prizes. Yes, but mathematics is a sort of a fantasy world. It's a self-answering world. Yes. Uh, There's an answer for everything in math, with the exception of a few conundrums. Uh-huh. It, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm not even convinced that it's a thinking world. Math. Yeah. I suppose mm-hmm. it isn't really. It's. It's. Uh, it's high tech. Uh huh. And we're getting lots of high tech, and we're getting high tech with lack of civilization. Uh-huh. Well, you know, speaking of this high tech thing, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It's giving government greater. Uh, the great ability to uh, monitor us, to control us, because uh, Ira Magazine in today's, uh, or yesterday's Chronicle, uh, mentioned that uh, with this health plan, you will get a smart card at birth. At birth. Then they'll, they'll have you from birth to death. You'll not have a moment of privacy. That's it. Only this Privacy will, not will be completely eliminated. Between... The smart card for your medical, uh, you know, program, the, your computer for your education, your IRS, 
your uh, secu- social security number, there will be no escape. Well, there you will have, be they no have us now. Total control. But it's, uh, it's almost like I remember a seaman, a young seaman on a vessel I was on who wanted to, was playing in the poker game and losing. And I said, I didn't play in that trip. I said, because there are two fellows playing third base and they're crooks and they're very good and you can't, uh, you can't possibly win, so you, you ought to leave it alone. But he says the only game on the ship. Uh huh. And he continued to play. Now, we're stuck in the only game of the ship. Right. And they're playing third base, and the game is rigged. Yes. So we have to really and truly start acting like free people. We have to say the minute some uh, official gets out of line, we have to punish him. Yes. And they're all cowards. But there are so many of them are already out of line. Well, the whole system is out of line, but we have to start someplace. I know. I would agree with you. Lectures will not do it. Physical action sooner or later has to come into the picture. You know, Sharansky said that he he felt the freest when he was in prison and could say what he what was in his heart. Nothing left to lose. Yes, nothing left to lose. He could, you know, speak freely. Yes. Uh, that was his idea yes. of freedom, right? You know. One, and, and we've got to be. We've be able got to be to, that yes, way. Absolutely. Well, we do that in our publications. Yes. You know, uh, those of us who who, who want to maintain freedom are putting out newsletters and reports. But this is the underground press, is it not? Yes, it is. It's the Somerset. This is the Somerset in America because absolutely. what we say will never appear in the New York Times. But it has great effect. Yeah. Yes, as you noted, they regard us as a huge movement. Yes. That we're behind every door and in everything. Did, and you, did, you, did you read that thing to you that woman wrote? That this Jody Ripper yes. wrote. Yes. Well, Jody, Jody Ripper? Yes, she sees a reconstructionist under every bed now, you see. <laughs> I don't want to destroy her illusions, you know, let her think that we're the most powerful outfit in the uh, well in, in public relations on Madison Avenue I learned that nothing travels as fast as word of mouth uh-huh. and it leaves no record it leaves no trace and it's always underrated but if you can the, uh, the, the PR man at General Motors killed the Ford Edsel yes. with dirty jokes it oh, got to the point yes. where you couldn't yes. remember the dirty jokes about Oh, the I Edsel? certainly do. I certainly right. do. Well, that's I've read about them recently. That's what <laughs> killed that killed that car. The, the, yeah, which was a good car. A very good yeah. car. The collector is... They went ahead uh, and imitated its lines afterwards. But they yeah. called the radiator, you know, that looks so strange. Don't, don't mention it. The, the people's screener. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they were good, the clean yeah. ones, too. But oh, they right. did Only it the clean with ones, jokes. please. They did it with jokes. And it was all word of mouth. Yes. Now... The whole business of limiting uh, tenure in Congress, limit, uh, yeah, term limits, term it limits. That's, that started with word of mouth. To end tenure in the universities is a word of mouth which should travel. And yeah. your phrase, dumbing down, which yeah. you introduced to the language, is now used everywhere. Well, I don't know if I was the original, but I know I was one of the early ones. I, I, I first heard uh, it yeah, from you. Yeah. It's now part of the language. Yeah. The dumbing down, uh, uh, 
uh, you know, phenomenon, but it's amazing that you can take a nation that was once the most literate in history and actually use the schools to destroy to literacy. Destroy literacy. Yes. You see, that's the, that's the diabolical part of all of this, to actually use the education system as the means of diseducating, miseducating, and also uh, creating massive learning disability, massive dysfunction. There's hardly a family in the country that you can talk to that won't say that they have somebody that's dyslexic. Oh, yeah, that's dyslexic, so, you uh. know... And in that school in in, uh, in North Carolina, 73% of the kids uh, have uh, a form of functional illiteracy. Now, don't tell me that 73% of the kids are, are defective, you know, because they're saying now that it's all genetic. Adam Smith was against allowing businessmen to form associations. And... He generalized in a sentence to make it clear that he felt this was applicable across the boards to various fields. And his reasoning was, when you bring a group of like-minded men together in a common enterprise, they are going to unite against the rest of the people. They will unite to organize and to crush those who are dissidents and will not be a part of the combine. And I think that was an important observation. I read and reread that years and years ago when I first read Adam Smith. And I realized that it is an important fact that, for example, when you create Christian school associations, home school associations, they begin trying to govern each other and setting standards. It's one thing to come together for a conference to learn something, but they want to form control groups. And this is what our churches have become as they have centralized more and more. They have created a control group at the top to squeeze out freedom at every level. So in our time when every organization imaginable is being created and every kind of uh, business or occupation is being licensed, you're creating control groups which in their own way are dumbing down America. They are eliminating the free-spirited independent man of action. Well, this was the uh, this was the complaint raised against the Masons that in a, in a country of individuals it was unjust to an it was invidious to a, all the rights of all individuals to be up against a secret group Mm-hmm. A very important point because Washington in his farewell address alluded to that fact without mentioning any groups or names. Yes, yes. And nobody has paid any attention to that aspect of his farewell address. It came out, as I've pointed out, uh, maybe this month's uh, random notes. Or it, was, it was in one that just came out. Yes. 
he made the point very strongly when uh, someone raised a question about the Masons and he said as far as he knew they were a harmless group he had no contact with them he investigated and then he thought that the man was right perhaps Illuminist groups had infiltrated some of the Masonic lodges but then in his farewell address he spoke out against any kind of secret society in a free country in a free country yes and uh, that has been totally overlooked yes and uh, particularly by people who belong to the uh, to the Yale you know Skull and Bones which is also a secret society and has included such luminaries as Averill Harriman, oh, yeah. William F. Buckley Jr., well, I tell George you. Bush, William Sloan Coffin, I know, John I, Kerry of uh, the well, U.S. Senate. You can Senate. go across the country and you'll find that there is a counterpart to the skull and bones in every college and university. In I'm the sure area. there is. I, you know, the fraternities. Uh, fraternity brothers. Semi-secret. And semi-secret. Yes. And uh, they keep in contact with each other through life. Because in the United States today, it's one of the high points of their lives to yes. go through the university. They never get over it. They never forget it. Oh, yes. It's a yes. substitute for the European aristocracies. Yes. Yeah. But Washington's point is still valid. Very valid. And yeah, it's, this is one of the problems that's plaguing the market. Stock exchange is that a network of which Milken was a champion for a while was operating where other individuals were on their own up against the network. Uh-huh. Where you can't win up against the network unless they let you in. And it marked, the, this, there's always been combines in the stock exchange. There's always oh, been sure. efforts. There's always been syndicates. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> whenever they're discovered, they've always been penalized, but there's nothing to prevent men from working together. And uh, the ideal, of course, is that everybody is on his own, is independent and individual and so forth. It doesn't really work. It's reached the stage now, though, where the government is an active active participant in the stock exchange it intervenes it's it's preserving the high price of the stocks and the Dow Jones and so forth I mean by through the uh, interest rate by the lower interest rates well it not only manipulates by law which it always has had the power to do but it's I believe they are actually putting government money in to the market that I'm not aware of well uh, I can't prove it but there are purchases made on a large scale which are irrational. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the gold market, for instance, is not behaving rationally and hasn't for ever since yeah. it ran up to $800 and fell out. Yes. So what we have here is the corruption of our system by government intervention, just as the government's intervention has corrupted education, yeah. it is corrupting our commerce. Yes. But yes. of course, the the stock market, the, the reason why all this cash is going into the stock market is because people are not getting anything. Well, it's the, the only banks. place. Well, the well, problem CDs here, and so they're trying the, to make a little extra. Well, money look at the difference. Instead of instead of 
subsidizing a smart young mechanic. Yes. Instead of subsidizing somebody who's going into business, they all rush to put their money into the paper market. Yeah, yeah. The Americans have have no longer believed that work constitutes wealth. I mean, wealth is really based on producing something. Yes, yes. And to put your take your uh, all right, you have a, a low. Well, what they're trying to do is preserve the wealth that they have. I mean, well, you I can would do say it, that you a know. lot of the people in the stock market are older people who are putting. Who should their, be, who should be helping younger men? Yes. Who should yeah. be putting money into younger groups? Well, they think they're doing that by putting it into companies that are. Uh, they're you know, big they're companies that are over the hill. In yeah. order to get onto the exchange, the yeah. big board, you know, you have to go through quite a... You have to have something. Well, you know, it's interesting that the papers are saying... Uh, you see, this, uh, Clinton is claiming that the, the, the wonderful stock market is due to his wonderful program. It's been going up for the last 30 years. And so he's taking credit for it, you see. Inflation, and maybe that's why the government is doing it. If well, the government is interfering, I think it started under Bush. Yes. Well, do you believe yes. that there's going to be another October? Uh, oh, sure. Another, of course. What was well, it? 1988. I can't stand uh, it. Eighty-seven. I watched this balloon being blown up. Yes. You know, when a balloon blows up and it gets to be large, how you hold your breath, you yes. know the kid's going to keep blowing on it. That's right. And it's going to burst. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And then there's going to be a panic. Oh, of course. That's the problem. That's what we used to call it. I remember my father. Yeah, it was called the panic. They, they never called it a crash. They called it a panic. panic. My father came home and said, Catherine, the panic is on. Yes. <laughs> I remember that in 29. Well, how? Do, uh, since, uh, Otto, you're the uh, expert on economics, you've been writing histories of corporations for years now. Yeah. What is your prognostication of this? You're thinking of time. I can't put a time on it. I just uh -huh. know it's going to happen. Well, yeah, we we know that we all know sooner, it's sooner or later, and how it's going to happen. But do you think uh, that we are headed toward the kind of depression that we had in the '30s with de deflation? That is, where money contracted, where you know, no, you know, no, no, I don't. we're going to have a panic with money, as we have yes. now. We're going to have. Uh, deflation in the economy and an inflation in money. We're going down That's the, the worst American path. Work. Yes. Ah. Paper money will only inflate. China invented paper money, yes. and 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 they went through the horrors that, of, uh, that it created. But a deflation of the economy means a contraction of the economy. Yes, it means there were no jobs. No jobs. There were no jobs in the 30s. But everyone knew that someday the economy would restore itself and that jobs would reappear. And what I'm telling you now is that the jobs are not going to reappear. Yes. But the, but the federal government can't afford to let the, the money become worthless, can it? It'll change the money. It'll change it. It'll yeah. do something like that. Because I know that Murray Rothbard for years was predicting runaway inflation and never happened because well, the Fed has managed to control since things. Since 68, yes. it has lost 70% of its value. That's true. What do, been a slow, that? It's what do you call it? What do you call it but runaway inflation? Yeah. yeah, I suppose. I suppose. I mean, your money is fading now in the bank. That's right. 
my poor mother left eighty thousand dollars. She put eighty thousand dollars into war bonds at two and a half or three percent, I think it was, in nineteen forty two. Nice patriotic thing. And it was still there when she died in eighty three. And she never mentioned it. Eighty thousand uh-huh. dollars. She never thought she never realized that the government would steal it. Yes, no one expects that of our government. People still do you think they have confidence in our government now, or are they just holding their breath? Well, they don't know that the government <coughs> is is a thief. I don't know. People are. I they're think be, people know that the government wastes money. Well, yeah, they think it's waste, yeah, but they, they don't know. realize that it's robbery. Well, we know if, that if, if social security is robbery. You know, if you work and you yeah. earn eighty thousand dollars and put it in the bank, and then when you go back to get it, it's only worth twenty thousand. Somebody has stolen yeah. sixty thousand from yes, you. How when much your money? Your mother is, put yeah. it in the bank. Two thousand here in California or the West was good money in forty-two. Yes. Yes. For yeah, a year's yeah. salary. Sure. Yes. yes, it was a year's salary. Oh, that was a nice those job. Days. Yes, a mm-hmm. decent job. But uh, how much money is in the Social Security Trust Fund? None. Just Where a is lot it of IOU. It comes in, uh, whatever they collect this year. Yes. Now, could a private firm get away with that? No. But a could private it? firm uh, couldn't license you either. Yes. But how can the government actually take all of this money and just spend it and tell us that we've got a social security system there? There's nothing there, is there? Well, my self-employment tax wipes out my social security account. Oh, oh, what so at the age of 75, I'm still paying social security. <laughs> oh, yeah, you have and to pay I have, it, right. Yes, yes, if you're working, you have yeah, to pay it. Right. <laughs> well, so it's really just the tax, that's all it is. That's all it is. And Not to worry, as one prominent conservative said in Washington recently, the government is immortal. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry he said that, because it's true. The devil is always with us. Well, government may be immortal, but uh, politicians can, aren't. We can change the devils. Yes, yes, politicians are not immortal. Well, our time is about over. Thank you, Sam. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. And what you're doing here and abroad is a giant step towards freedom. Our new... Calcedon Report has an article by David Paul on uh, oh. homeschooling in Britain. And uh, Very good. your influence here and abroad has been considerable. Well, thank you all for listening and God bless you. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christ Rules dot com